0: Whose power cannot be shaken? And whose breath? gives us life and whose death can set the captive free His name will stand forever and lift it high for all to see Jesus our God our Lord our King oh and brighter than a million stars his love is shining calling every broken heart come out of hiding healing for the hurting and freedom from the dark he is brighter than a million stars yeah yeah This grace is so amazing and this love is so complete and this mercy sets the prisoner free. Yeah, oh and brighter than a million stars, his love is shining, calling every broken heart of hiding, healing for the hurting, and freedom from the dark, He is brighter than a million stars, His love is shining, and His love is shining over you. He has set us free Yeah, yeah. Yeah, His love
1: is shining
0: over you and me And He has set us
1: free He has set
0: us free. Oh, and brighter than a million stars, His love is shining, calling every broken heart. Come out of hiding, healing for the hurting, and freedom from the dark. He is brighter than a million stars. Oh, and brighter than a million stars. His love is shining, calling every broken heart. Come out of hiding, healing for the hurting and freedom from the dark. He is brighter than a million stars. Yeah, 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 oh, His love is brighter. Yeah, His love is brighter, brighter, brighter than a million stars.
2: Well, good morning, Carpenter's Way. If you're in the room, if you want to stand and worship with us, you are more than welcome. You don't have to, but you are more than welcome. If you're checking us out online, if you're tuning in this morning, don't be a spectator. Uh, join in with us this morning, right? Uh, I'm gonna pray for us, and we're gonna jump back into worship. Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord, that you are brighter. God, that your love it shines over us. That you call us, you call us to yourself. And Lord, that you have declared us free. God, you have said that we are free. And so, God, I ask, Lord, as we begin this uh, this series with Galatians, Lord, God, that you would take the blinders off of our eyes. God, that you would take down the walls that we put up between you and us, of the things that we feel like we have to do, the things that we feel like we need to do. And, God, that we would just be able to rest in your freedom, rest in who you are, rest in what you've done for us, Lord. God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Jesus, the name above every other name, Jesus, the only one that could ever save, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, we live for you, oh, you, there is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those of could ever breathe, we live for you. No other hand I can say Forever faithful Your love is stronger I trust in no other name yeah. Jesus, your heart You are my story. You're my everything. You are my glory, my God and my King. You are my life. May you be lifted high. There is no other You are my story, oh, you are my everything, you are my glory.
2: to read, so if you guys will stand up with us. We're going to read this together this from Lamentations 3. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore... I will hope in him amen amen
0: I cast my mind to Calvary with Jesus bless and for me i see his wounds his hands his feet my savior on that cursed tree his body bound and drenched in tears They laid him down In church The entrance sealed By heavy stone Messiah still And all alone
1: Oh, praise the name
0: of the Lord. Oh, praise His name. Yeah Red.
2: Prayers, we sing that again. I give it all
0: to you. I give it all to you. Do what you wanna do. Here at your feet I bow. Come take me now. I give it all to you. Do what you wanna do. Here at your feet I bow come take me now amen amen
3: well, great song you can be seated there is not children's programming during Sunday morning this message this morning and uh, so i encourage your kids to draw with the crayons that we gave out and all that stuff don't you worry about your kids i can scream louder than they can <laughs> that was a great worship package <clears throat> that last song, I Surrender All, you know, I am confident that there's a lot of you out there that kind of feel the heaviness of the season, uh, just just the weight of, it's not one thing, it's, it just seems like everything, and uh, what you just sang is the solution. I give it to you, God. Do what you want to do in me and the world around me, and I'm going to trust you with that. The only problem with that song was they seemed to add a measure in the part that I knew. I Surrender All. Did they add a measure, Julie? You added the measure? No. Well, I'm not going to blame Chad in front of the church, but I want you to know that I sang the original version both times. So my daughter-in-law, Hannah, had to listen to me go, ah, so poor kid. I mean, that's, there's a reason I'm not up front singing. All right, good morning. All right, we're going to start our study of of Genesis, of Genesis this morning. Whatever book we're in. But before we do, I have some announcements, some pretty important things to make. We are in the middle of uh, a business season. As we move towards our annual business meeting, the only annual meeting we have is our annual business meeting. So for those of you who are visiting, we're awfully glad you're here. Please understand that we're a family and we do have family business periodically. So I'm going to mention a few things uh, that relate to all of that. The first thing I want to mention is there's some new women's Bible studies starting up and ladies, be involved in those. You need the fellowship, you need the uh, scriptural study. So we encourage you to be involved in that. Julie, where do they sign up or do they need to sign up? You can uh, let the office know. Make sure, let me say it this way, make sure that you read your bulletins that come out on Friday because it gives you all the information. So make sure you peruse those. And uh, But there is women's Bible studies are starting up again. If you have any questions, ladies, you can talk to Julie right after the service. Uh, she'll be up front. Um, also, I want to remind you, that we have voter registration going on. Uh, While we don't tell you how to vote and we're not right or left politically as a church, we do think you need to be actively involved. And so you prayerfully consider that. But we want to help you get registered if you have not been registered. If you have any questions, uh, will in the worship in the welcome area uh, the Kennedys will be out there and they can answer your questions about that uh, for those of you who've been visiting with us for a while I've had quite a few questions about our next new members class that's going to be on September 26th a Sunday morning it's from 9 30 until about 11 45 or 12 and if you've been visiting and you want to learn if you want to join or just want to learn more about how we function and have interaction with the elders and the staff that is your opportunity to do that that's coming up the last Sunday of the month so make sure you Uh, you do that. Uh, Carpenters Way members, this is the last day for you to nominate uh, church officers. So please do that. Next to the offering box out there there's a white table with some uh, with some uh, sheets on it and you can write the name of somebody you think would be a good deacon in our church uh, functioning in either the finance team or the mission investment team or there's somebody you feel would be a good elder, uh, please nominate them and you can put it in the offering box and we'll make sure we get it. The elders will be going through those this Wednesday night and moving forward with uh, meeting with people and talking about who we're going to uh, present to you at the annual business meeting. The last thing, I do not want to distract us um from what we're going to do this morning so let me get through it as quickly as possible with COVID raging again we had a conversation as elders Wednesday night and here's what we're going to do as a church we're not going to close down we're not going to stop our programming what we are going to do is encourage you to be adults Uh, please you have to assume everywhere you go that there's people around you with COVID you just have to assume it people don't even know they've got it So wear a mask if you want to. You're gonna notice I'm gonna be wearing a mask and partially just to say, hey, it's okay to wear a mask. If you don't wanna wear a mask, you don't have to wear a mask, but you're responsible for your own behavior, okay? We're adults, so please uh, act accordingly. If you wanna wear a mask though, wear a mask. And if you don't, if you are an anti-masker, would you please not attack people with masks on? Could you please? And if you are a masker, don't tackle people and duct tape their face. That's not okay. But we do wanna say, that, that uh, we're, that's where we're at. And so you'll see some of us wearing masks. Don't be upset about it. Uh, if you're, don't go around asking people if they're a pro or anti-vaxxer. This is, the, this is the embassy of the kingdom of heaven where there is no COVID. So we're not going to get politically active in that, okay? I, okay, I, I don't mean that COVID doesn't exist in here. We get the flu and everything. I'm simply saying, can we just move on and be, be wise, okay? Our desire is to protect you. And uh, protect, so protect each other. Do what you need to do. Okay? Enough on that. Galatians chapter 1. A few years back, I had the opportunity, and I, I've had one of the coolest things about being a pastor is I've had the opportunity to travel much of the southern hemisphere uh, to do mission work. And one of the most unique opportunities I had is to go to Quito, Ecuador. So some of you, are, is anybody here familiar with HCJB Radio? So that was a very, very, thank you, Julius. Um, uh... So HCJB Radio is a short-term, full-time, 24-hour radio station. It's a mission that goes short, short, not short-term, short-wave, and it goes globally. Uh, shortwave radio can go all across the globe, and they have established places to make that signal go. And so for 24 hours a day, especially this was hot during the Iron Curtain Ages, but now in the Middle East, they are constantly presenting the gospel in the native languages, the place, places that they uh, they do radio work. Well, it was an awesome opportunity I had to go to Quito, Ecuador, and work with HCJB Radio, and, and to see what they were doing all over the country. Uh, when I was planning to go, one of the things that I was going to be able to do is I was going to be spending a lot of time in the city dump. And for those of you who have been to third world countries or any country, big cities have big dumps. And uh, when we went there, the reason we would go there is because there's many, many families there that would live there. And so I knew that I would be heavily impacted, but I didn't know how I would be heavily impacted. Now, what I'm about to tell you is not universal. It's not everyone. But there was a large group of people who lived there in the dumps only two or three days a week. And those days, they would literally, these individuals who lived there, lived in cardboard refrigerator boxes or something of the like, or or little shanties they would make out of trash, and they would bring their young children and their spouses, and they would live there for two or three days. And the reason they would live there only for two or three days is because they actually had apartments and homes in the community uh, and the outskirts of Quito, Ecuador. The reason that they would move in the dump is because they were professional miners. That's what they called themselves. And what miners did was mine through the trash, bags of trash coming in, and they would look for anything of value to sell. And they made pretty good living doing that. What's crazy is they made enough to have homes, but they moved their young children into the dump. And I will never forget walking through the dump, and I didn't expect to meet people like that. I expected all of them to be impoverished. I expected them to be living out of desperation. And that was not the case with at least half of them, if not more of them. Now, we still presented the gospel to them, of course, because their real need is a spiritual need. But I was shocked by this. There was one guy, for instance, who had actually taken over an old government building and he had gotten an old Chevy engine and he had turned it into some sort of machine shop that could wash trash. And his whole thing was finding plastic, washing it in this machine. It was quite incredible. He was so proud of it that he got me with his family and we we took a picture together. He wanted the American to see how creative he was. He was an entrepreneur. But they considered themselves miners. But again, what was really shockingly alarming was I would walk through the dump and there was one, one area where they had these two children. One was, I'm guessing, about six and the other about nine. And they literally were sitting in the middle of bags of rubbish they had broken in and found things to play with in it. And their moms and dads were letting them play. And You you imagine people living in a dump, kind of live on the outside so they move away. These children were in the middle of it, playing with stuff. And their mom and dad were right there enjoying it with them. There was a group of men, about 50 yards from them, playing cards in the middle of the trash. And it was interesting because the more you talk to them, the more you realize how proud they were of their life and how much they liked their life. And I just want to say this that you can be proud of your life and you can feel good about what you're doing, but my goodness, you're still living and bringing your family into filth. Right? Now I understand this is politically incorrect because we're supposed to feel empathy. I'm very empathetic. But they, these were people that didn't have to live there. These were people who chose to live in the filth and actually brought their family into the filth with them. Why? Because it made them feel good. Because they wanted their family with them those couple days. And they didn't seem to care that their children were ingesting disease. I was raised in the evangelical church. As I think back over some of the things I was taught, like God created people so he wouldn't be lonely. Forgive me if you've taught that, it's ridiculous. There are three of him. He's not lonely, he's completely self satisfied, scripture says. Or, that God needs us to be faithful so that His plan on earth can be accomplished as if His plan depends on our faithfulness, which tells me you've never read the Old Testament. That's absolutely not biblically true. Or, The racist teachings of the past that I'm I'm not going to get into. Uh, Actually, I'll tell you one. I remember as a child hearing in Sunday school that the reason you shouldn't marry somebody of different color is because that goes back to Old Testament teaching where the Jews shouldn't intermarry. It's complete ignorance. The Jews aren't one color. The the Hebrew people are are multicolored. And not only that, but it had nothing to do with that. And so, I guess in Southern California Sunday School, it was okay to bury somebody of Asian de- descent and Mexican descent, but not black. So even our racism was prejudiced. <laughs> but these kind of teachings in the church, and we can start picking on them and going off on them all day, but that was junk theology. That was junk doctrine. And we lived in it. We, we lived in it. We ingested it. And it wasn't true. And I would argue that for many of us, and this is not accusing, you don't have to admit this, but there's a lot of us one time or another that when you're watching the news or you're looking about what's going on around us, we have a tendency to think, and I bet almost everybody in here has felt this, oh, if only we could go back to simpler days. Those were the simpler days. Those Teachings that were false, those ideas, those half-truths that were taught to manipulate us into a certain behavioral or social action was junk. And it had nothing to do with God. And while most of us have moved away from the ta- trash doctrines of the past, even if we find it nostalgic, new ones have crept in. Especially in this season of hyper-politicization, you know, And I I want to actually change that. I don't think, okay, this is just my opinion, but I don't think the church has hyper (laughs) politic. I don't know why I can't say that word. You know what I mean. I think we have a hyper-religionist, that ending. I think we've got hyper-religiously. I think we've decided what political party is the right one, is the God's. I think we've decided how Paul would vote. I think we've decided whether, whether in our own hearts, some of us know whether Paul would vaccinate or not vaccinate. I think we've applied Scripture out of context to our present context in the United States. I think the church in general, and I'm not just talking about Carpenters, I'm just talking in general. I think that we have decided junk conclusions based upon misusing Scripture but it wasn't just new to our parents and it isn't just new to us this was happening in the New Testament as well if you remember uh, Paul and the Apostles took over when Jesus ascended into heaven Uh, about 40 days later the Holy Spirit descended and filled them and the task was go to all nations and tell them about my Father, right? right? The gospel, the good news. I'm not even sure I want to use the word gospel anymore because it has religious overtones. I want you to understand that the word gospel is is just a word that defines the message of salvation through Christ alone and adoption into His family. That's what that is. But the word gospel, we, we go to sleep on it. It was really, it's called good news. And I think if we go back to using that term, that at some point somebody's going to say good news. What good news? Because I don't think a lot of people think the gospel's good news. I think they think it's restraining, it's a prison. And I'm here to tell you it's freedom. Knowing salvation through Christ alone and the Holy Spirit coming in, it sets you free from things that own you. Like we're at worry about the world. Some of us are so beaten down by worry about the world because you've forgotten what we sung this morning about seeing Jesus' face. What was the second to last song, Chad? Do you remember? Huh? Praise the name. And in that song, it talks, about, it talks about seeing his face, getting saved, and then one day seeing his return and seeing his face. Praise the name. Because all of our hope in that song, I love that song. I was moved by it this morning. Um, because it was just, it reminded me that that's our goal. Our prize is not a conservative country, a religious country. Our, just, our prize is not even a Christian country. Our prize is Jesus. Our prize is Jesus. And we, in our junk doctrines, have made it about a good life. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. We're almost trying to overcome Jesus' warnings. And, and I get that. I want a good life. I want to I be fat, dumb, and happy. I want beautiful house, and I want huge ribeye steaks for $3 a, a pound. And I want my gas at 10 cents a gallon. I want a rich congregation. I want a beautiful facility with my picture on it. I want lots of dumb things, but none of those have anything to do with Jesus. The problem is that within my thing, I have this constant tension. What I know to be true, and what I long for. And you know, when I was growing up in the church, um, uh, especially as a teenager who was trying to remain pure, you know, we threw the word lust around as if it was always sexual. And the truth is, the word lust is not a sexual word. It simply means a continual desire for more, and you can fill in the gap. It could be sexual. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. Actually, it could be for yourself. It could be lust. It Lust is anything that owns you. It's anything you need more of. More admiration. More self-righteousness. That's all Lust. And what Satan does and has always done is slide whatever your flesh wants with a fish on it into your heart and makes you want more of it. And then you start taking verses out of context and before you know it, you, uh, you actually endorse the very things that keep you from God. And I would ask you right now, what is Satan sneaking into your head right now that you might even be right on but is keeping you from loving the lost? You know, People who are struggling with their gender identity need Jesus, right? Terrorists need Jesus. Afghanis need Jesus. Illegal aliens need Jesus. Your president needs Jesus. So does your ex-president, really bad. They need Jesus. Your neighbor needs Jesus. Your students need Jesus. Not just the bad ones, the good ones. They need Jesus. Jesus. And the more we, Satan, is, Satan has a vested interest in us being distracted by stuff and that's just like it was in Paul's time. As you know, the Apostles and Paul like I said, took over the message of salvation through faith in Christ alone. Not anti-Judaism. Not anti-Roman gods. But pro-salvation through the one living God. Through faith alone and they took that message to the ends of the world that was their instruction i'm going to send the holy spirit that's what we just studied in acts and the sto- and, it, and, and it progressed after the first uh, and close to the second missionary journey of paul and what was his mission it wasn't just to, to to evangelize and leave he would go into communities he'd share christ people would get saved and he would he would build communities He would build little communities of people who had been saved so that they could support each other spiritually, emotionally, uh, physically, and they took care of each other. We call those little communities churches. Somebody knows. Churches. Again, I don't know if I want to use the word churches anymore because we go to sleep. I know what a church is. I don't know that we do know what a church is. A church isn't a Sunday morning gathering or Wednesday night gathering. A church is a group of people who agree that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. They have been saved through faith in Christ alone. And they come together to remind each other of that. Because out there, everybody's attacking them, including Christianity. So he'd come together. They would come together and he would plant these churches and they did really well. But after he ends his first missionary journey and maybe part of the second missionary journey, he immediately hears that things are going on in Galatia. In fact, in the first seven verses, you find that the churches of Galatia, not one, but multiple, Galatia is a region and there were a bunch of churches there that Paul had planted through the power of the Holy Spirit and he left them to keep ministering to each other to keep encouraging each other. And then he gets back to his home in Antioch and finds out this. And in verses 6 and 7 of Galatians chapter 1, he writes this. And this is immediately how you know there's a problem he's writing to. I am shocked. And in the Greek, that word means shocked. Very good translation. I am shocked. What are you shocked about, Paul? That you're turning away so soon from God. What do you mean, Paul? We're still talking about God. Well, I'm shocked that you're turning so soon away from God who called you to Himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the Gospel or good news. It's pretending, but it's not good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. A false version of of the good news of the gospel had made its way into these communities of Jesus followers and they were buying into it. They were believing it. They liked it. And, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, and I want to warn you, those of you who will be with us in this study, do not get stuck on circumcision. That is the thing that they're struggling with. But I, I just want you to know that just like baptism, there's nothing wrong with circumcision. If you want to be circumcised, be circumcised. But you cannot make that age your spiritual health. And that's what they were doing. They were saying, yes, some Jesus, but a lot of, a lot of the law. You see, what they were concerned about these who were coming in and, and false teachers, is they were saying, you might be a sect of Jesus followers, but you have abandoned the Hebrew doctrine that is important. So we need to marry the, the Hebrew Jewish traditions, the, uh, the uh, Mosaic Covenant, the laws, we need to marry those with your Christianity. That's what was happening. And you know what it made them do? Now follow me. The believers in Galatia bought into it because it made them feel good. If I told you today that the answer to your spiritual struggle was getting up... Actually, somebody said this to me this week. um, And and I'm not attacking you if you said it because it's a concept we've all got. We look at, uh, at, at followers of Islam, Muslims... And what is said in Christian circles all the time is that isn't even the truth, but they pray five times a day. That's how faithful they are. We should be as faithful. Well, here's the difference, and here's part of the reason why, and I'm not accepting the laziness of us believers, but I simply want you to remember that in Islam, you are hoping to please God so that He might save you. In Islam, you send your sons to die so that God might find you acceptable. But in biblical Christianity, God sent His Son to die for you. It's radically different. And for us to say, and, and it feels good. It does feel good. One of the things that people, uh, that happen when people come to Carpenter's Way and they're visiting is, I really like your preaching, preacher. I like it. Because when I leave, I want to feel convicted, at which I go, oh, man. I like a good beating on Sundays. I hate to think that I ever beat you. I hate that. Because to me, this is all good. You see, the problem, the problem I have, even when I've been talking about nationalism this last year as we've gone through Acts and make Israel great again and stuff, is that for those of you who are neck deep in that, it's an enslavement. America will never be conservative enough for your liking because it, you, you don't, God doesn't save countries. He saves people. There is no such thing as a Christian nation. There are only people within nations that are the children of God, that are followers of Jesus. You understand what I'm saying, right? Well, well, I'd like our country to go back to Judeo-Christian values. That's only, again, I'm going to say this. Please don't shoot me. That's only because you're white and, and, and you're not black or you're not Indian. I'm sorry, Native American. The, the truth is, it depends what group you're in as to when things were good. And, and I'm not saying that all of uh, the history of our country is great, but please understand that while we were the Christian nation that we all longed to go back to, we were enslaving people. That, that's a problem. That's not a value of Christianity. The value of Christianity, as we get later in Galatians, is there is no Jew, Greek, slave, Gentile. There, there's, there, there's none of that. Nor men or women. We're all one in the family of God, adopted, valuable, precious. That is the value system of the kingdom. The value system isn't of the kingdom is not immigration status. And, and look, as an American, I have concerns about each of those things. But as a child of God whose priority is the kingdom of God, God is my priority. The kingdom of heaven is my priority. Those things are secondary and third level. But we slide into those things in the same way that the Jewish believers or the Gentile believers, because here was a Jewish people coming in that that, that were attractive and that were historically followers of Jehovah God, just like us. You know, I'm into Hebraic things, okay? I, I'm actually going to come back around, so bear with me. I love Hebraic things. I love teaching context and culture. You guys know that. But whenever, and we've done this a few times in the past. But whenever we do the Seder meal, and actually we've had the Seder meal in here with 400 people before, whenever we do that, it's such a great experience experience that people come up and go, there are six more festivals, we should do them every year. To which I say, you can, but we're not Jewish. I'm not Jewish. Yeah, but those are good things, they remind us of our heritage, but they take your eyes off Jesus. Some of us like to study the rabbinical teachings of the Old Testament. Nothing wrong with that. But I do want to remind those of us who like to study the rabbinical teachings that they were wrong on the most important thing. Jesus, the Messiah. You, You know where I'm going with this, right? Being close, having your kids living in a junkyard teaching close doctrine that makes you feel good in the flesh, it would be awesome. There's not one of us in this room, if I could take a verse and tell you three steps to being spiritually healthy, absolute winner in Christ, there's not one of us in this room that wouldn't walk out of here and go, oh, that's the answer I've been looking for my whole life. If I could only do this, don't do this. Like, for instance, if I said, don't drink, don't dance, don't go to movies, don't play cards, uh, and don't ever watch any shows with ghosts or witches in it. If, If I told you that, but the truth is, that's what I grew up in, and it didn't work. Jeff and I laugh, Pastor Jeff, we've both been youth pastors before, and we laugh kind of sad that whenever we taught Josh McDowell's uh, why wait for marriage thing, more girls got pregnant right after that series was over than any other time in our ministries. Why, everybody made a commitment. They signed the paper. But what happens is you start thinking about your flesh. If you take your eyes off of Jesus and put it on yourself, whether it's vaccination or nationalism or whatever you start thinking about you. You see, the gospel is all about Jesus, hundred percent. So you're telling me that a guy could be living in adultery and get saved and not move out. I'm telling you that that won't be the long-term effect of a biblical, Holy Spirit-inhabited Holy Spirit or a Christian life. This is real. This is real. It's not something we attach on to ourselves. It is real. And the problem is Satan is going to continue to throw things at us that make us think we can add to the work of God. And that is so dangerous. And that's what Paul was referring to in that verse when he says, you're following a different way that pretends to be the good news. Legalism never works. Think about this. And then we'll jump back into Galatians here, the first five verses. If Judaism and the laws of Judaism had worked, why would Jesus even come? I want you to think about that. If being circumcised and keeping the Mosaic Covenant and adding 622 or 32 laws to the first 10 would work and make you acceptable to God, then why did Jesus come and die on the cross? Why did the nation blow up? Why aren't they great today? And the answer is, it doesn't work. You can't be good enough. You can't be faithful enough. Which is why Jesus said, that's okay, step aside, I'll take care of it. Hold my wine. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah, I just contextualized it. And you laughed at me. So this letter to the churches of Galatia, it's referred to often in theological circles as the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. It's about Freedom. That's what it's about. This letter is simple to read. I read it last week and nobody went to sleep. I do want to tell those of you who told me it's the best message I've ever preached, that I was offended by that because all I did was read the letter. Still offended, but I forgive you because I'm that good. It's simple to understand. And when accepted and acted upon at face value, it'll change your life. And for some of you watching online or in this room, it will change your life after life. You will meet God for the first time. It's that amazing. But it is also true that if taught as written, like we're going to do, it is offensive to many within Christian churches because they are actually afraid of the depth of freedom that this book teaches. They're scared of it. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ offers an independence that puts the influence and control of religious leaders at risk. To be clear, there have always been many within the Christian community, and you're going to see that here, leadership that believes that too much freedom, that is, if you're allowed to think and listen to the Holy Spirit for yourselves, that you will not end up being what they think you should be. And I'm here to say, neither was Matthew. Neither was Jesus. I would argue, and this is argued in theological circles, but I would argue that the reason they killed Jesus is because he didn't measure up to their standards of what the Messiah should be. So Jesus was a disappointment to the same religiosity that you will be a disappointment. Because God did not save you to keep you out of bars, although I'm not a fan of drinking. God did not save you to keep you out of movie theaters. He did not save you to take you out of the world. That will happen later. He saved you to be an offensive attack, attack on the lies of Satan in the world. He never once prayed for you in John 17 that you would be protected from the world, but that you would be protected from the evil one. And the truth is, sometimes we're going to mess up. But we've got to build relationships with the very people that we're here to tell Christ about. And it seems like Satan has a vested interest in us becoming so righteous and so self-centered, so self-absorbed, that we no longer build relationships with people that need Jesus. That's what Galatians is all about, and it is fantastic. It's also the only way. And when I say only, I mean only, only. And for those of you struggling with that concept, let me just be clear that Jesus was an exclusive guy. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I, singular. You know what I means in Greek? In Aramaic, which is what he spoke, me, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one, and you know what the Greek word for no one is? No one comes to my Father except through religiosity. That's not what it says. Through legalism, no. Not through church attendance, not through walking an aisle, not through being baptized, not through circumcision. Nobody comes to my Father but through me. I'm the gate. Do you understand that picture? I am the gate to the kingdom. Some people claim to be in the kingdom, but they're liars and thieves and they climbed over the wall. Some even are leaders in the church. But we have to know, you have to know so deeply in your soul what the truth is so that when the lie comes in and it makes your skin feel good, yeah, how dare they! You can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in the back going, how dare you? One of the most powerful, and I'm sorry I keep bringing up The Chosen, but it's had a big impact on my life. It is is not Scripture. It is biblical. uh, I almost said mythology. That's not the right word. Fiction. But it's powerful biblical fiction. And Peter is angry that Matthew gets to join them. And at one point, he's, he's telling Peter, uh, Matthew off, the tax collector. And he says, I will never forgive you. I will never forgive you. Three times in a row, he says, I will never forgive you for what you did to my family and what you did to our people. And one of the other apostles looked at Peter and said, who said you needed to forgive anybody anyway? And you can feel it as you watch the, the episode, that scene. You feel it going, Peter, you're the one who needs forgiveness. That's how the church gets. We're so busy not being gay, we hate gays. We're so busy, busy not being adulterers, we hate pastors who, who fall into it. We're so busy, w- whatever, that we start telling people off we're the very people Jesus Christ came to die and save. It's become twisted and upside down. Why? Because it makes us feel good. You know why so many of us. I'm not going to. I, you know what? I've already been political this morning. I'm not going to go there. Actually, I am. One of the reasons why I think a lot of us liked Trump and I put myself in that category, is because he's the big jerk we always wanted to be. Sorry. I, I think that he said things that we wish we could say. Fed my flesh. Go get him, Trump. I liked his Twitter. Now I've confessed. I think he was the most thin-skinned man around. He'd never be a deacon, an elder, or even attend our church. But to be truth... You, you know what I'm saying. There's a, there's a thinness to him. Yeah, see it, man. See it on my behalf. Oh, he's so, he's so dark. That's not good. Because Jesus Christ said, Mark, I'm setting you aside to tell people of every persuasion about me. And when I hate them or I resent them, I, I can't do that. Do you, you know what I'm saying? That's the kind of flesh-feeding lies that creep into our soul and forgive me, I've told you before I'm conservative, and and so I attack conservatives more. I just think we we need to really be real. Because that's where we're at now in the world. If if an Afghani was a half-hearted Christian, they would not be today hiding. They would be walking away. And the time has come for us to decide how serious we are about this. That's why we're doing Galatians. Because wait until you find out how simple the message of the Gospel is. It's so simple, it's offensive. Because lots of people can be saved that don't look like you or don't act like you. People that you're going to question whether they can even be saved. But Jesus came to save sinners. So, this is not new. I want to remind you that Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy and actually warned him that the day would come when the church would have a form of godliness but a denial of its power, right? Right? It would be a self-help Christianity like the church of Laodicea. When actually in John 15, Jesus said this, I am the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For, will you read this last for me? with me? For apart from me, you can only do half the work I sent you to do. You know what the Greek word for nothing is? Nothing. It means zero, zilch, nada. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That includes programming. That includes getting together and brainstorming. Apart from God, the power of God, nothing gets accomplished. Not in us, not outside of us. Nothing. In Philippians 1.6, Paul said, I am confident, certain that God who began a good, the good work within you will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Who's doing the work? Christ. Or how about Ephesians 2.10 that I love to throw in your face all the time. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew. Who's responsible for this? Your pastor? Your disciple? Your Sunday school teacher? No. God. We ended our walk through Acts a couple of weeks ago, and I tried really hard in the the study of Acts to point out that no matter what we think of Peter and John and Paul, the truth remains that these were ordinary men who were inhabited by an extraordinary God. That's what made them stand out. The other people that are listed there, this wasn't a group of standout people that God chose. This was a group of very deeply sinful and flawed men and women. Mary Magdalene, demon-possessed woman, probably a prostitute. You have Paul, who was a terrorist against believers. He was the Taliban of his day. You uh, You have Peter, who's got such a huge mouth that he reminds me of me. You've got all these characters who are deeply deeply flawed, and yet Jesus calls them to be messengers of reconciliation. Why? Because they knew how flawed they were. Sometimes I think that if we grow up in the church, we start thinking, okay, we're pretty good. As a Christian, I'm not bad as most. I know you'd never say that, but you probably have that thought. I've never lied. Well, I've I've lied about people's hair, but that's okay lying. Uh, You know, and your baby. We lie about babies. That is a beautiful child. That's a lie sometimes, especially if forceps are used. That's, uh, uh, but but that's, so those are good lies, right? Those are good lies. I've never really lied. I've never said it. I've, I've never, well, those lies are important lies. But I've never killed anybody. And Jesus started his ministry with the Sermon on the Mount by declaring, for those of you who have never committed adultery and are proud of it, good for you. Oh, by the way, it's not your standard that counts. It's my father's standard. So here's the deal. If you've ever lusted... Mm, you've committed adultery. Well, that's not fair. Who can not do that? That's my point. You can't not do that. You can't not murder. We all have people we hate, except me and Julie. Julie and I. We all have people that just, just hair on the back of the neck. We all have that. If only I could stop having that feeling towards people, I will be a better Christian. How about just accepting the fact that you are and God needs to change that in you, or what He'll do? Here's what He'll do He'll stick you in a ministry with somebody whose nails are longer than the first nails. Because that's what our God does, not just because that's how they get saved, but it's how we grow up. You see, God's desire for you is not for you to be moral or clean or Baptist, God's desire for you is to be like Him. That's His desire. And you can't be like him without the Holy Spirit saying, this is what we're going to do today. It's very, very complicated. You know, it's easier to be a legalist. Why? Because you don't have to listen to the Holy Spirit. You can listen to your pastor. You can call him. Hey, pastor. Uh, My family's tried to go out to dinner tonight, and do you think God wants us to go to, uh, you know, Texas Roadhouse or Logan's? They're a lot of similar, and here's what we're thinking. Oh, my goodness. He wants you to buy me dinner and stay home. Seriously, we're stuck. We're stuck, you guys. Do you, do you see it, or am I making this up? We're stuck. We're stuck looking at ourselves. And we're not looking up, and Satan wants us stuck. And the, and the church in the New Testament was stuck. So Paul wrote to them to address this. And, and as I read it last week, you heard you heard the tone and the tenure of it. And he starts in the first five verses, and he begins in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He said, this letter is from Paul, an apostle... I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters join me in sending this letter to the churches of of Galatia. Okay, now, we just read that introduction, the first two verses, and for most of us that sounds fine, but let me tell you what's going on in this. Remember, what I read you a moment ago, verses 6 and 7, is only five verses down. Paul is, this is very, very different from most of the introductions that Paul writes. Paul usually wastes about a chapter. He usually defi- defends his apostleship and he tells them how blessed they have been to him and he says the connections they have in the past. But Paul is getting to business in this one. He is very brief. He is dr- it is direct and to the point. And he's actually setting up what he's about to say. From the opening greeting, Paul wants to tell his readers who know him personally, That he was not appointed by people, whether in Jerusalem or James, the brother of Jesus who's running the Jerusalem church, or even the apostles. He'll get to that later. He wants to start by saying, I want to be clear as I begin. Hi, I'm not an apostle made apostle by people. I'm God's apostle. And by the way, I'm not unaccountable. All the dudes with me, they all say hi too. Now while we go, what a nice little friendly hello. Dear Mark, that's not this. He's saying, what I'm about to say has the authority of the throne of God Himself. And not only that, I'm not going rogue here. For those of you who think in the apostolic gift of a man getting up in front and just saying whatever he wants and we have to listen to him because he claims an apostolic gift, that last line where he said, all the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia, that's accountability. What he is saying is, this letter is known. It's it's not just for me. It's not just for me from God, which would have been enough. But it's for me and us. And we're writing to all y'all. We're writing from God. And I've been held accountable for this. So what's fixing to happen, what you're going to listen to, is a question of God and man. From the very opening, he wanted them to know that he was not appointed by any group of people or human authority. You know why that probably is significant? Because the Judaizers that come in and teach this doctrine that we're going to look at over the coming weeks are probably saying, look, Paul's fine but we're here to finish it. You see, we're from Jerusalem, and James, the senior pastor of the Jerusalem church, the mother church, actually sent us to tell you some things that Paul's leaving out. We're genuinely concerned that Paul is no longer asking people, people, especially Gentiles, to follow the law. And so we're here to tell you that we've thought and prayed about it, and we, as the head of the church in Jerusalem, have been sent to tell you by the other church members in Jerusalem that you need to blah, 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 blah. And I assure you that that was very unsettling for the Gentile believers who actually thought they were second-class citizens because they weren't Jews. But what Paul is saying is, I'm from God, He called me out, and by the way, all the people with me agree. The truth is, the gospel, the good news found only in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross is absolute and unchanging. There is only one way to understand the simple message of the gospel. Why do I say that? Because we live in a time and a culture where people are saying all over the place, you know, there's many ways to comprehend the Bible. And I'm here to say, that's a lie. How can I be so bold? Because they're not studying it within context. There are many ways to take a verse out of context. There's not many ways to understand the, gospel, the, the, the message of Paul to the church of Galatians. All you got to do is read it. I got to just read it. And I challenge you to read it this week, especially if you've been legalistic. I challenge you to read it. And over the next few months, and I think it's going to be like nine weeks, over the next nine weeks as we go through this, here's my challenge to you. Don't believe anything that I teach, but you have to, and, and even argue with me, but you have to back it with Scripture. Contextualize Scripture from the, go- from the Gospel. It's not the Gospel, from the book of Galatians. You got to use the book of Galatians, because that's what we're talking about. It's not complicated. In fact, It's so simple, it's unnerving to religious people. Even some of us. Next verses. Three to five. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. (laughs) I love that. He could have simply added there, if I were his scribe. Because he's the only one who can. Heck, he's the only one who wants to. Grace and peace come from God. Grace and peace do not come from legalism. Grace and peace do not come from circumcision. Grace and peace do not come from baptism. They do not come from walking an aisle. They do not come from the Democratic Party or a gentler president. They do not come from Donald Trump. Grace and peace does not come from your pastor or a rich church or even a miracle in front of you. Grace and peace come from Jesus Christ. Do we still believe that? It's still the truth whether we believe it or not. I'm not sure that the church, small c, actually believes that anymore. We certainly don't act like we do. May may God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave His life for our sins just as God our Father planned. It wasn't an accident. In order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. How much glory goes to God? How much is left for people? That's a problem for religious people. That's a problem for self-righteous people. That's a problem for famous preachers. That's a problem for small preachers. That's a problem because we want some of the glory. And I'm here to tell you that the, the, the message of Paul, the message of the apostles, the message of the Scriptures, and the message of Jesus was all glory to God. And it isn't just rare uh, to Paul to say this. Look at how Mark starts his gospel. This is the good news, the gospel, about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. In other words, everything I'm going to tell you about in my gospel centers on this one message, salvation about Jesus, God sent one. It's not about responding to Roman leadership or how to put up with people that persecute you or how to put up with evil. This book, this historical document that I'm writing simply tells one story. The good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And so when we go to the Bible for direction on colleges to go to or places to eat, we are actually, that's not what the book was written to tell you. The book was written to tell you about how to be saved how to have a relationship with God. And I I mentioned a while ago, I'm coming back around now, I mentioned a while ago how we look at some Muslims with respect because of their devoutness, how devout they are at their legalism. But I want you to understand, God specifically did not make this thing that we are a legalistic thing because then our eyes would not be on Him, it would be on us. And this is a relationship. If on your wedding day, your pastor had said, Mark, here are five things you must do every day in order to be a good husband. And those five things are have breakfast with your wife, sleep with her, uh, you know, whatever, fill in the gap, have coffee with her, make sure that she has her lunch ready when she goes. Five good things that we might agree on. If you do all those five things, but you beat her, you are not a good husband. If you do the five things that, that family value ministries will tell you, but you ignore the other 35 things, why? Because it's a relationship. And doing the five things with a bad heart doesn't make me a good husband. We live in a culture here in East Texas where people are buried every day who have never donned the door of church since they were four years old in BBS. And they are buried, and they are said, this was a good Christian man. That's East Texas speak for. They didn't commit adultery. They were a good father. And they fished and drank beer. That was pretty good. Now, Mark didn't go to church very much, but he was a good Christian man. The Bible says if you don't love the body of Christ, you don't love God. I mean, there, 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 you don't have to go to church to be saved, but as you grow in your relationship with God, you don't have to be faithful to your wife and be saved. But the truth is, if the Holy Spirit is guiding and directing your life, you will. I'm sorry. I know that's offensive to a lot, but you will. You need fellowship. We need fellowship. You know what we call a, a Christian who doesn't go to church? Unhealthy. I need Pam Hudson, as I'm preaching, to remind me about mission work. To not be so doctrinal that I forget that seasons of hope matters. I need to look over here and I need to be reminded. I need to be reminded I want to start picking out names but I'll stop. I, want to, I need to be reminded, I know your story. I know you guys. You driving a truck, Zach? I need to be reminded of the struggle Zach has as he's out there driving a truck. Daryl's retired. I need to be reminded that I got to pray for Alicia as he doesn't do anything anymore. We've got to be reminded of this. And you know what? I need Charles Kent to come up and tell me every week what a great message until I blow it once and he says, that was not so great. I don't like it, but I need it. You know why? We're in this together. We really are. And this isn't about us. I need Charles to remind me, despite him liking my preaching, that if I start doing that, if I start wearing skinny jeans, you guys, I just sh- please... It will be not only ugly, but it will be terrible for my walk with God. I just, just, we're in this together. This is a relationship. And you know why it's messy with God? Because it's not religion, it's a relationship. And you're going to mess up. You're going to doubt, you're going to question, and you're going you're to struggle, and you're going to say, if only I would have. But God is so good that he even uses our sin to remind us how much we need a Savior. Right? Right? And so he writes a letter to a church that, that's a little off, and I, I want to defend the church as I close in prayer. If we were in this church, it would be very easy for us to say, come on, Paul, lighten up a little bit. Does it hurt to be circumcised? Yeah, it's going to hurt to be circumcised, especially adult Gentile males. But it does it really hurt that much to, to add religious activity to your Christianity? Come on, Paul, lighten up. To which Paul's response is, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it isn't the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And so, with that first five verses, we're going to move forward to make sure we understand the only way to God. You can reject it, You can disagree, but I'm just going to teach you the Word. Jesus Christ isn't only the only way. He's enough. He's enough. He's enough. Teach your kids about Jesus. Walk with Jesus. When you watch the news and you want to rip somebody's head off, turn it off and talk to Jesus. Lord Jesus, we surrender all. Teach us what you want to teach us, even if it goes against our preconceived ideas and what our flesh thinks is true. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask this. Amen. Have a wonderful uh, Sunday afternoon, everybody, and a good day off if you're off. Goodbye.